everyone, and welcome to the Here and Now podcast. I'm your host, Ali Stopkati, and I'm excited to share with you today this podcast all about music. Today is episode one of what will hopefully become an entire series. And so I'll just give you a little bit about myself before we get into this episode. I am a classically trained musician, and this podcast is actually revisiting some research that I did in my final year of college. So I am very excited to have delved back into this research, and I'm even more excited to share it with you today. So this podcast, each episode will focus on one popular song that people know and love today. And it will be comparing to a classical piece and also just picking out in general the classical music influences within these songs. Because whether you know it or not, the songs we listen to and the songs we love today are derived from even the earliest of music. So I'm talking like even Gregorian chants from the 15th century that uh, monks would do straight up to like the Baroque period, the Renaissance period, the Romantic period. All those ancient musical stylings, they all inspired the music we know and love today, whether it was intentional or not, because music always evolves from year to year. So it's really interesting to explore the way um, music matures over the years. And so I figure for episode one today, we'll go in with a bang, and we're going to look at the song Bohemian Rhapsody. And so if you've never heard Bohemian Rhapsody before, I suggest you listen to it, obviously. But I'm pretty sure most everybody on this earth has heard Bohemian Rhapsody because it's a pretty universal song. But People may not know that there's a lot more to it that meets the eye or meets the ear. So just a little background on Bohemian Rhapsody. It is performed and recorded by the band Queen. The uh, song is part of the album A Night at the Opera, which came out in 1975, and the song is listed as track number 11 on that album. So today we're going to look at the actual musical structure of Bohemian Rhapsody and picking out the classical influences within that. And we're also going to look at how Queen performed that song um, and picking out the classical influences within their performance practice. So strap in because it's going to be a really interesting podcast and a really interesting listen today. So Bohemian Rhapsody starts with a cappella group vocals between the four members of Queen, which would be Freddie Mercury, Brian May, Roger Taylor, and John Deacon. And for those of you who don't know what a cappella is, that means that it is just strictly voices singing. There's no musical instruments behind them whatsoever. And it's a really good introduction to the entire song. And... Those a cappella group vocals, so this would kind of compare to an overture, say, in an opera or a musical or some other larger work. And so after this overture, there is what is called the aria section. And that is where you hear the famous piano lick 
and um, it's where Freddie Mercury kind of sings a lament from a cappella group vocals to singing a straight up ballad. Um, the song can change from one thing to another so quickly, and you will see that here in a little bit when we talk about the next section of the song. But for this particular section, this lament or the aria section, in the piano instrument specifically, you can hear similarities between Freddie Mercury's piece, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. It's professionally known as Piano Sonata in C-sharp minor, but everybody knows and loves it as the name Moonlight Sonata. And the two are similar because they both have octaves in the left hand of the piano to create a strong foundation, and then broken chords in the right hand of the piano at the same time to create a soft melody in the right hand. And so this creates really nice contrast between the left and right hand in the piano while making it an interesting piece of music to listen to. So I'm actually going to play an excerpt of both songs for you so you can see the similarities between the two. So first I'll play an excerpt from Bohemian Rhapsody for you. Mama, just killed a man. And now, here's an excerpt from Moonlight Sonata. And so your first initial thoughts might be, well, those don't really sound similar. I would suggest you rewind and listen again because they actually do. You can hear the octaves in the left hand creating that strong foundation in both Moonlight Sonata and Bohemian Rhapsody, as well as the broken chords in the right hand. And what you may not know is Freddie Mercury actually derived this idea on Bohemian Rhapsody from Moonlight Sonata, and that's why they sound so familiar in their uh, rhythmic and song structure. Okay, and so that is basically the entire aria section of Bohemian Rhapsody. So after the aria section comes what is called the operatic section. And that's the other famous, really, really famous uh, section of the song. And this in and of itself, even before you bring in the classical music influences, is just insane because this section featured over 180 vocal overdubs to achieve as many choral effects that make it known to be the operatic section. This section of the song actually took 70 hours to write, so that's just this one little section, not the entirety of the song. And so the classical piece that inspired this section of the song comes from an opera called HMS Pinafore by the famous composers Gilbert and Sullivan, and it is derived from the piece in the opera called When I Was a Lad. And so both of these pieces... Bohemian Rhapsody in this section and When I Was a Lad feature light choral with subtle chord progressions underneath the choral. It's followed by extremely heavy vocals and heavy instrumentation. So this creates a really nice contrast within a short amount of time. 
So this section is also marked by an extreme increase in chromatic complexity, as well as several diminished and flat chords that add all sorts of transgressive color to the eerily cheerful major tonic dominant alterations of the song. And for those of you, again, who don't know classical music, you probably think that I just spoke to you a bunch of gibberish. So let me kind of explain what that means. So an increase in chromatic complexity. Chromatic is basically going up half steps throughout the scale. And adding complexity to that is kind of mixing around the chromatic notes in different order but still making it sound clashing enough so that it's interesting, adding that complexity. And diminished and flat chords basically just mean it's a chord with the top of the chord being flat. And so that makes the chord sound a little bit sad, but yet have a lot of energy to it. And it just adds color to the piece. And it adds character and it makes it interesting and when I play these two pieces alongside each other you'll hear exactly what I mean by transgressive color and character to the piece so uh, without further ado here is the operatic section of Bohemian Rhapsody a short excerpt so listen close And then here is an excerpt from When I Was a Lad from Gilbert and Sullivan's HMS Pinafore. When I was a lad, I served a term as office boy to an attorney's firm. I cleaned the windows and I swept the floor and I polished up the handle of the big front door. See, now these two next to each other, I think is a little bit easier to see the similarities than, say, the piano in the aria section and the piano in Moonlight Sonata. You definitely can see and hear the color in these two in these two pieces played next to each other. And at the same time, they sound exactly alike, but yet so different which is what makes Bohemian Rhapsody such a genius piece of music. And so that is basically the two big musical structures of Bohemian Rhapsody that I thought were the most important to pick out to explain to you today. Obviously, I could go through the whole song, but that would take hours on end because it's such a complex and huge piece of music. But I wanted to give you a little bit of taste of what the music in Bohemian Rhapsody is capable of. But it just proves what an amazing musician Freddie Mercury is. Because even though Queen performed the song, this whole song was written by Freddie Mercury. And he, you can definitely see his classical upbringing in this song. Because some of his biggest influences, actually, when writing his music were Beethoven, Bach, um, Bizet, and Chopin. And so actually, this whole entire album, A Night at the Opera, he was listening to Bizet's Carmen. And when listening to that, he got the inspiration to name this album A Night at the Opera. 
And so I think that that is just amazing how Freddie Mercury is able to channel his love for these classical composers and bring it into Queen's pieces and making this classical music become popular in his own way with Queen's music. So now that I have talked about the actual musical structure of Bohemian Rhapsody, let's take a look into how they performed the song. Anybody who knows Queen and has maybe seen a video of a Queen concert, or maybe if you've even been lucky enough to see Queen in concert before Freddie Mercury unfortunately passed away in 1991, you know what performers they are, especially Freddie Mercury. And so they had an art, basically, of how they would perform each one of their songs. And Bohemian Rhapsody in particular was its own kind of art. Because some of the characters that you hear mentioned in Bohemian Rhapsody, I'm going to bring up four right now, Scaramouche, Galileo, Figaro, and Beelzebub. So what you may not know is... Uh, Those four characters or historical figures are based off of the members of Queen. So first I'll talk about the character of Scaramouche the Clown. Scaramouche was a popular 18th century Italian Commedia dell'arte character. And Commedia dell'arte is an ancient art of basically, it's basically the origin of sketch comedy. And obviously, you know how clowns are. (laughs) They are extreme prop comedy. They wear ridiculous outfits. They put on big, big physical gestures. And so Scottermouche would be Freddie Mercury. He would kind of take on the facade of Scottermouche the clown. And Freddie Mercury's clothes in performances would actually kind of depict Scottermouche. So in the 1970s, for example, uh, whenever Bohemian Rhapsody was performed, he would wear a black and white checkered bodysuit. And then in the 1980s, he switched to a bright rainbow colored jacket that had like rainbow spikes all over it. And so both of these outfits, even though they're very different, they both kind of depict the essence of a clown being Scottermouche the Clown. Um, And then the next character that I mentioned earlier is Galileo, the famous astronomer. And so Brian May is the one who portrays Galileo. Brian May is Queen's guitar player. And they chose this for Brian May because he actually has a PhD in astrophysics. So what better character to compare Brian May to than Galileo? The next character I mentioned was Figaro, and that uh, is represented by the bass player of Queen, John Deacon. So the reference in the song is actually compared to The Marriage of Figaro, which is an opera by Mozart. But in terms of being represented by John Deacon, it is Figaro the Cat, which is a cartoon. Those of you who don't know, uh, Figaro is Minnie Mouse's cat. 
And uh, the last character, Beelzebub, who is also known as Satan, is represented by the drummer of the band, Roger Taylor. And this was strictly because Roger Taylor was kind of the band's wildest party animal. So it's kind of interesting to see how these four characters and historical figures are represented by members of the band and the way they present themselves on stage you can definitely see it and when they performed bohemian rhapsody they would kind of put it on as if it would be an opera production so freddie mercury wanted the performance to seem authentic so he made sure that the band kept a high level of drama for the performance of bohemian rhapsody to pretty much emulate the general ambiance of an opera production. So it's just so amazing how much drama they would put into it. For example, in the operatic section, obviously it has over 180 musical overdubs. They didn't have the technology to put on that effect live on stage. So what they would do is they would make the stage go completely black and they would actually play the studio recording over the PA system in the arena they were playing in. And they would go down underneath the stage or they would be hiding off on the side wings of the stage. And then when that famous guitar solo comes in, the stage would suddenly light up and all the band members would be there. And that would create insanely high level of drama, which is what you would want in an opera production. So that is basically the overview of how they would perform the song and keep it authentic to the level of intensity that Bohemian Rhapsody itself is um, in its music. And so they would definitely let the music live up to its dramatic nature in their performance levels. So I know myself, I would have loved the opportunity to be able to see Queen in concert back in their prime. And since Freddie Mercury was classically trained as a child, I mean, he not only used his classical music influences in Bohemian Rhapsody, but in all of Queen's music, which is what made Queen such an incredible group of musicians. And they just did basically everything right when it came to making music. Really so, you guys, that's episode one of Here and Now, Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm so glad that I was able to share this with you today. I hope everyone enjoyed themselves. Next episode, we're going to be looking at one of my absolute favorite artists of all time, Nay, he is my favorite artist of all time, Billy Joel. We're going to be looking at his song, This Night, from his album, An Innocent Man. And I won't tell you what classical piece of music it compares to because I have to leave some element of surprise, don't I? So please keep an eye out on my social media platforms. You can follow me on Instagram at Here and Now Pod. And so that's where I leave you for today. And remember, don't ever stop playing music because without music, life would be a mistake. Mm-hmm.